Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co-hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co-owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. back giving some truth uh nate and i commonly get a lot of questions based around the industry and how to get into the financial services industry and some of the pitfalls that we've seen over the course of our careers so nate and i collectively have been doing it uh, i don't know what about like 25 years or Mm -hmm. so and so uh we're going to do this and give a little insight as far as what we've seen and how we've seen the industry evolve and for the young people out there what they may want to look at as they're trying to enter the financial services. 25 and a half years, if you count me. There, wow. there we go. There we go. <laughs> that was Kevin, by the way. Uh, yeah, it was Kevin. <laughs> That's right. In, which, uh, He's put a half yeah, on did, there. You did kind of uh, short sell him there. You just you, you cut out his six months. My apologies. Like yeah. My yeah. apologies. Yeah. Right. Well, 25 plus years for Nate. I'd be registered. There Kevin is go. not yet registered. This but. Is true potentially may aspire to be registered at some point, this is true. Uh, which means he can give advice and have all the regulators look over him. So, but he could actually receive compensation too. That'd be really nice he as could. far as, as far as, uh, from the, uh, fees on investment products. Cause currently he just gets paid a normal everyday salary, which right. is great, right? It's Phenomenal. consistent. Consistent. Exactly. It's consistent. The other design of the, uh, the podcast is really to help uh, investors kind of understand within the industry why certain things might have happened to them over their career in investing. So, for example, how, as an investor, how have I seen you know four different investment advisors uh, get assigned to my account over, say, a ten-year period of time when I've been with the same company for ten years? So, we're going to talk a little bit about how the industry works, just to be able to shed some light on um, the nuances of. Um, the, the kind of the career arc of an advisor, um, how companies look at hiring advisors and, and how they, um, in some ways, uh, in our opinion, uh, do a disservice to the firm's clients um, with how they hire and how they handle advisors coming through their doors. Yeah, when I first started in the industry, I mean, there was no such thing as like a CFP program through a college or anything like that. I mean, we went out and we took a test after we graduated college and, and you literally don't even have to graduate college to be a financial advisor. And so that's one of the problems of the industry is kind of a lack of, um, you know, a lack of training that's required. And, and I wish that, uh, there was a little bit more stringent requirement because literally you could be 18 years old and be a financial advisor if you pass a couple of tests. So, um, how I got in the industry was that I, I started with, uh, one of the larger uh, firms out there and they ended up, uh, learning, I, I ended up having to take a test. They paid me while I was uh, taking the Series 7 test, and then I had to take the Series 66 exam. And then once I passed those two, as well as the Wisconsin uh, State, uh, let's see, it was Life and Health at the time. And then uh, I grabbed my list of friends and family, and I was supposed to go in and uh, pitch the 17-page script that they had taught me. 
and uh, just make phone calls and get them in for appointments and sell them financial plans and financial planning advice. And I was 22 years old and that was how it was done. And that's how it's done still today with a lot of, a lot of companies out there. But um, it's a wonder that any of them are able to succeed. And I, I think the the rate of success is under 10% at this point. So it's, it's pretty amazing that uh, where our industry's gone, it's that kind of scattershot approach. And I think they've moved a little bit more to a shotgun approach. But if you're new and trying to get in this industry, I think it benefits you to get into some sort of program through college um, in finance and, uh, you know, kind of hone in on what you want to try to do there. Yeah, unfortunately, the the, um, the industry is set up in such a way where it's, it does um, provide some inherent roadblocks for younger advisors trying to get into the business. Um, and so it's actually creating a um, an issue with, with, frankly, there are not enough financial advisors in the industry because as the older advisors are retiring and moving out of the industry, there's not enough newer advisors coming into the industry to backfill for those losses. And so we're actually seeing... Uh, you know, the numbers within the, uh, uh, you know, financial planning sector start to, to go down um, and, and there's less professionals available to help people that, uh, that really need the help. So um, we're going to kind of explain why that is and um, kind of how we got to where we're at. We get the question more than people would uh, maybe think in terms of, of um, how Clinton and I got to this point and how the industry kind of got to the point where it is now. Yeah. And Kevin, do they have a program over at Kevin's from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Do they have a program in financial planning that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of, but that also wasn't really my field of study, so I'm sure someone who studied finance would have a better handle on if that exists or not. Yeah, a lot of them have certificate programs. Some of them have majors now. Mm-hmm. Um, that list is not vast. It's not like you can go to every school and they have a financial planning uh, program now where you can get a you know, a bachelor's or a master's in that, but there are a few out there and, and, uh, behavioral finance has been an, an interesting field as well that a lot have gone into, but I think most people that end up in financial services end up taking econ classes and then they just move into financial services, uh, because they know somebody or know it's a reasonably good path to take. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of training out there. There's not a lot of a roadmap for them right now. Yeah. It's, it's definitely different than, than another, um, discipline within the financial, um, planning world of, of um, accounting, for example. So if you get an accounting degree, um, you know, right out of college, you're going to do accounting work. I mean, it's, it's a pretty smooth transition for the most part for people that have accounting degrees. Same for people that have, say, engineering degrees. You know, you're going to get a job in the engineering field and you're going to start to do uh, engineering stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. If you, degree, if you graduate with a finance degree or a different business degree and you try to get into the world of financial planning, there's there's a, a wide breadth of of what the first uh, say six to twelve months of your experience in the industry is going to be like. Uh, if you join on with an insurance company, um, that's different than if you join on with uh, what's known as a wirehouse, which would be you know Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, UBS, which is going to be different than if you join on with a bank or credit union financial planning program, which will also be different than if you join on with an independent financial planning office like like we have here at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors. So the, where you land in your first job out of college, um, and this is unfortunate for a lot of people that get into this industry, is where you land can have a huge, huge impact on whether or not you're still in this industry five years later. That's right. I mean, it really depends on whether there's a active book of business that you can call on and cultivate, whether or not you have to do it your own, because um, you know this might be a surprise to people listening to this podcast, but when you're 
21, 22 years old, uh, leaving college and you're calling on your friends, your friends don't tend to have a lot of money. Uh, and you don't know a lot of millionaires too. So, you know, marketing to the high net worth when you're 22 years old is a, a little tough needle to thread. Kevin, how many, how many millionaires do you hang out with? Mm. <laughs> Looks like you need to find some better friends. That's right. Maybe a lot of MasterCard millionaires. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but no true millionaires or even, you know, even middle class, you know, net worth people, they just haven't built up the assets yet. They're trying to get out of college. They're trying to pay down their debts. Um, you know, they're thinking about houses. They're not thinking about amassing uh, large amounts of wealth at this point. Yeah, I'm going to go out on way out on a limb here and say that the majority of uh, people under the age of 25 uh, have probably higher student loan debt numbers than they do net worth numbers. That's probably a fair assessment. Is that not, Kevin? Oh, I mean, absolutely. That's a, that's a very wild take there that I had, but uh, I think that's probably a pretty safe assumption that yes, the majority of them true. have five or even six digit student loan debt figures and uh, net worth is not necessarily uh, in that same ballpark. Anywhere uh, close to Yeah, that. exactly. And that's why some of the uh, recruiting for some of these companies has focused on finding mid-career people that aren't necessarily happy and then kind of turning them into financial advisors. Um, in some cases, it can be a natural fit if you found somebody in a in a bank or credit union that's been doing lending for example maybe mortgage loans you know wow. at uw credit union like, Sounds like somebody i know yeah exactly uh kind of nate's path that uh you know nate was kind of mid-career and made a change and he had a lot of acumen still in finance mm -hmm. and so he was able to transition into that career but um it sometimes they take people with just good natural networks and try to cultivate them into financial advisors. And obviously sometimes that's successful and sometimes it's not, but, um, birds of a feather do flock together. So if somebody is, uh, 45 years old and they are off of a, uh, career selling, let's say pharmaceuticals, you know, they were working for Pfizer or something like that. And they've got a lot of doctors in their network. Perhaps they can transition to that, uh, financial advisory role. So that's another successful way that I've seen some of these firms cultivate some talent. So, you know, it kind of depends on how you're going to enter the industry. But, um, you know, some firms target the young, some firms target mid-career, um, and other firms just go out and buy books of business and, and really don't do any sort of training at all. Um, and they just they don't worry about financial advisors starting because they'd rather acquire and, and use that strategy. So if you're working with an advisor and you've never asked a question, or if you're interviewing advisors and you're uh, wondering what questions to ask, one you definitely, definitely want to ask is um, about the background of the advisor that, again, you're either working with or that you're interviewing. Uh, ask things like, how long have you been in the industry? Just because somebody is, as Clint said, middle-aged, don't assume that they've been in the industry for 20 years. They could easily uh, be in the industry for six months uh, and have had a completely different career before then. Uh, that doesn't make that advisor a bad advisor, but just be aware that you may be working with somebody that uh, you know doesn't quite have the experience that you assume that they have, or they don't necessarily have the experience within uh, the overall finance industry that you might assume that they had. That was one thing that really surprised me when I got into the industry is I thought, well, this is going to be difficult because every person that I sit in front of is going to ask me how long I've been in the industry, and I'm going to have to say a month or two months or six months or whatever it was at the time. Uh, I, I literally got that question maybe two or three times in the first couple of years that I worked in the industry. So, so you fooled them is what you're saying. I wouldn't say fooled <laughs> them necessarily, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was surprising to me. And it, it's, it's a, it's a um, uh, 
subject that I think a lot of people are almost kind of afraid to ask because they don't want to insult somebody or they don't want to um, look like they're, they're kind of digging into their past. But you definitely need to ask about, um, you know, the, the path that the, uh, the advisor took to get to the point where they're at. Yeah, the CFP board had a great commercial on this where they had somebody. Yeah, the DJ. Yeah, the DJ. Yeah, that ended up, you know, they dressed him up in a suit and tie and they called him a financial advisor. And, you know, there's some immediate trust in that. So you put somebody in a nice office with a nice suit and immediately they, they garner that trust. And, and, you know, unfortunately in our society, that's how it is. You know, Nate and I probably couldn't, maybe now, but, you know, certainly 10 years ago, we couldn't do our jobs in T-shirts and jeans. You know, now we maybe could, but, you know, at that point, we certainly could not. And, it, and it's almost bad in a way because, as, as, the, as the advertisement um, so deftly points out, um, the assumption that just because somebody has a suit on and they have a, you know, they, they look, quote, clean cut, well, they must be trustworthy and they must have, uh, you know, chops within the industry. Well, if we're not asking those questions, um, we need to be uh, – uh, we do need to be asking those because uh, you need to understand who's running your money and, and who's guiding you through these points. Yeah, and if you're uh, you know, somebody that's looking at the financial services industry, I think the issue for those people is trying to get married up with somebody that's going to help them be successful. And you know, to do that, it used to be where you'd try to look for a, a good job where you can cultivate some people and get commissions, and it would really help you out. Um, but now there's been that huge shift from commission-based uh, to fee-based investment advising and being fiduciaries for our clients. And the problem with that is that it is a, a true builder type of situation. Once you have your revenue, it's generally very sustainable and it's a lot more predictable um, than a commission-based advisor, but it takes a lot longer to build up. So, you know, if Kevin was joining this industry, for example, and and wanted to do on it on his own and didn't have a, a salary to build up a book of business that would generate an income for himself would probably take, I don't know, two, three, four years to do mm. that. And you'd literally be eating ramen noodles for a long time. So, um, you know, if you like ramen noodles, Kevin, more of an easy Mac guy, but he doesn't easy like Mac noodles. Oh, you can't, you can't spend the 12 minutes to no boil way, your yeah. own water and put easy in the, Mac's wow. Not even, I, Ramen, Although I would say the way to go. macaroni and cheese is delicious with the fake cheese and everything like that, but you have to take the time. You can't do easy mac like oh, and it's so hot when it comes out, like it it's will just burn thing, your right? face. That's the deal, off. right? Yes, it's micro- I don't do microwave food too. You know, you know my whole weird thing of that, but. Maybe, maybe maybe Easy Mac can sponsor this podcast. Oh uh, yeah, probably not Kevin, anymore. Not, not, probably not, not after our no. ba- bashing of Easy no. Mac. Give me regular not. macaroni and cheese, and I don't like the shape stuff either because you you do the no, shapes. shapes are, yeah, no, that's they don't taste what? as good. The shapes no, don't taste as good. I don't want minions. The consistency is weird. Yeah, it is. No, it's yeah, yeah. The traditional the noodle. They'll eat anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, they love macaroni and cheese. Yeah. All right, being that Kevin's taking us off on a tangent here, let's get back on track. So you asked me the question. So, so the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel for the change of the industry, in, in our opinion, or or what we hope um, comes from the uh, DOL ruling and the the uh, government trying to uh, kind of institute more of a fiduciary standard for most advisors is uh, if this creates an environment where there is a little bit more kind of teams that are built within the industry, teams of advisors, uh, or we get a little bit more consolidation, so that there's there's not a lot not as many um, people just out there uh, selling commission products um, where we have more true advising and we have more, um, you know, doing what's in the client's best interest. 
our hope is that it creates a little bit more of a, of a uh, mentor program for younger people to be able to get into the industry, hook on with a team uh, so that they're not trying to do it simply on their own. They're able to learn, be more kind of in a junior role, and then graduate up into more of a true advisor role and, and really have more of a path to be able to get into the industry. So even though um, it, it's it's maybe harder from a, um, you know, can't make, uh, you know, um, as much money just, you know, selling a bunch of commission products that you probably shouldn't be selling anyways, uh, right out of the chute, it's, it's a longer arc from that standpoint, but in our opinion, it's much more sustainable um, and, and the industry hopefully then gets to be able to create more of a, of a youthful um, uh, kind of bench, if you will, uh, through some of these, these teams that are forming. Yeah, and what we're seeing too is that uh, some of these custodians, uh, for example, we custody a lot of our assets, uh, the vast, vast majority of our assets at TD Ameritrade, and they've developed a program for next-gen advisors. So they're really doing, uh, taking that step to try to cultivate those younger advisors and assimilate them into some of the larger uh, investment firms around. So if we wanted to hire, we could uh, look at that and and try to hire some young talent through that. So if you're a young advisor, you probably want to look at TD Ameritrade and their uh, offerings to next-gen next gen advisors. And also uh, XY Planning Network does a lot of blogs on these topics and is uh, kind of positioning themselves to be the financial planning network to help out uh, generation, you know, kind of the millennial advisors that are coming up um, or Gen X or Gen Y uh, advisors. So I don't even know. Is Y millennial? I can't. Y is millennial. Y is yeah. millennial. Okay, I got you. Kevin's not really a millennial. Kevin's though, so. Gen Z. Z. I'm fringe. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> Fluid. That's right. Um, so basically, uh, you should take a look at some of these uh, places like TD Ameritrade that, that may have that. And, and if I can give one piece of advice to, to people, it's that getting on a team uh, when you get started is the absolute best way, in my opinion, to become successful because you need to learn and get mentored from someone. If you just try to learn it all on yourself, it's too vast. I mean, you're drinking from a fire hose for four to five years before you really have your feet under you. Uh, so, you know, I don't care how much you, you know going in from a textbook uh, when we're dealing with the art of financial planning. It just takes experience uh, to learn that and having another person to be able to bounce ideas off of or a team to bounce ideas off of is very important. Yeah, I, I echo all of those sentiments. Um, finding your way onto uh, the, the correct team uh, as opposed to trying to do it on your own is absolutely the way to go. If you're looking at, at jobs or looking to get into the industry, that's definitely one thing you want to look at. If you are a client and you're um, Kind of wondering, uh, you know, how do I how do I relay or how do I uh, apply this information to the relationship you have with an advisor? First thing is to, if you don't know their history, ask about their history. How do they get into that role? How long have they been in the industry? Um, you know, what what uh, prior work experience have they had? Um, it, it's definitely a cautionary tale, and in a lot of cases, the um, clients that have quote, felt like they've gotten burned in the past. Uh, a lot of those experiences uh, are related directly to the advisor they were working with. And uh, that advisor's either lack of knowledge or conflict of interest, which uh, created a situation where the client definitely ended up on the short end of the stick. So uh, really make sure you understand who you're working with. Um, and that'll help to kind of um, 
fill in some of the blanks as to how have I had four or five advisors over the last 10 years with my with my firm? Well, it's because they're burning through advisors and they're just moving clients from one to the next to the next as uh, they kind of burn people out of the industry. So if you're in that situation, you're, you're probably not with the correct firm. Yeah. And one thing that you can check if you don't want to ask your advisor directly or in concert with asking your advisor these questions is to look at the FINRA's broker check website because if somebody tells you that they have three years of experience, you can actually go on and look on FINRA's broker check website and see, okay, yeah, they were registered at XYZ Financial Planning Firm, and uh, you can actually verify what they tell you. Uh, It also will go through any of sort of legal or financial uh, troubles that they've had. They have to uh, disclose all that, so if they've had a bankruptcy or something like that, um, it'll show that they had that. So you can check and verify what your advisor tells you and make sure that that person is who you want to work with. So if they say they have 10 years of experience in the industry, uh, verify that they indeed do. And then also always take, uh, you know, always take a look at that report and then verify back with your advisor if you have any questions. Like for example, um, you know, Nate and I went through a couple different what are called broker dealers when we were at uh, UW Credit Union Investment Services, and somebody might say, "Oh, you're hopping firms," and actually, that that wasn't the case. The the uh, financial UW Credit Union Financial Services uh, ended up changing uh, the company that they custody their assets through. So we were, you know, working for two different companies, but we stayed in the same place. So you know, those are important distinctions of saying, okay, we had really good longevity there, but you know, the broker check may not show that. So you definitely want to get, um, you know, look at the broker check report verify back with your prospective advisor or advisor and just uh, clarify what, what they said and, and make sure you have the right person for you. Yeah, that's a great tool. FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, it's FINRA.org. Uh, FINRA is just a, a governing body within the industry, but uh, that broker check tool is, is really helpful to be able to kind of, at a minimum, get some kind of basic information as far as history and any disciplinary or, or um, you know financial problems that they might have run into. So, um, the, uh, the, the, the takeaway really is, um, you know, protect yourself by asking the right questions and using the tools that are available to make sure that you fully understand the firm you're working with, the people you're working with. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're unsure or uncertain or not feeling great about, uh, how it's going, uh, there's probably a reason for that. And it probably does track back to, um, the advisor that you're working with. Yeah, and you want to do that due diligence. Also, if you're looking to get into the, into the industry or look at who you're joining, check out that firm's complaints. Check out the people that you're potentially working around and make sure that you have a reputable uh, staff and a reputable firm that you're working for. Uh, in the financial planning industry, fortunately, a lot of the bad apples you're going to see because it's all disclosed. And so you want to ask them specific questions on customer complaints and uh, some of their business practices to make sure that you're finding the right fit there. The, the last thing that we'd recommend uh, from a client perspective is, and again, this might sound like a dumb question, it might sound like an obvious question, but make sure you ask your advisor if this is the only occupation they have at the time. Uh, part-time financial advisors or an advisor that's struggling and has a side job, uh, while not all always a bad thing, uh, you wanna know that and you wanna be a little careful that uh, you know you're not working with a part-time financial advisor. In our opinion, this is not the kind of career um, that that you can do on a part-time basis uh, unless you're with uh, a team structure and you have the you know somebody backing you up. If it's a um, you know if this is kind of a I'm going to try this out and see how it goes while I'm doing another career, I'd be very skeptical of that as an as a client. Yeah, if I'm a client, I don't want anyone practicing on me. 
So, right. you know, I want I want them to be getting me their best ideas and best advice, and I don't want them to be trying something out that they heard at a conference or something like that. So, yeah, you've got to be real careful and skeptical there. Uh, most of the outside business activities also are disclosed on the FINRA broker check as well. So if they are doing a couple different things at the same time, uh, you have every right to ask them about that and their background. We hope you enjoyed this uh, information and found it valuable, and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC, are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.